0: I was um, sitting over here in my lovely office here today and I started thinking to myself as like, when did I really get intrigued by technology? So I kind of wanted to share, and then I wanted to get your guys' ideas too, and perspectives of when that grabbed your attention. Um, back when I was a young lady, um, in grade school there was a thing called the WizKid. So it looked like a mini computer that you could plug in, like different games of math and science and reading. And it had a lab the the keyboard that you could like choose. And then I was so fascinated of like how you could plug and play and like get all these fun games to pop up and then test how smart you were as a young person. I was like, yeah, I'm really cool Um, and (laughs) it was like the best thing ever. So if you guys have never heard of it, you got to Google it. But um, I know Kelsey, you're on here today. What about you? I was going to say mine's similar but not quite the same thing where I didn't feel like how smart I was. It was more I wanted something and I had to figure out how to use technology in order to get it. But of course, you know, I wanted to play my Barbie computer game and you had to install it. So, of course, I just did the click next, 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 except it wait. And I was like, look, it works and everything is great. So I was a spoiled child and I had a computer in my room. So I got to figure out how to play all of the computer games. I know. I know. I was that kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, Matthew?
1: Um, So the first time I really remember having to. First, it's a game as well. Um space hulk on dos required that you uh use the manual to uh type in words to be able to play the game as a a old drm style and uh i couldn't read at the time i was quite young and so i taught myself to read so i could play that game um (laughs) i i i couldn't help myself it seemed so much fun um and then obviously struggling as a uh, a teenager to try and record things and and learning how all of the audio tools worked and and everything was kind of the the time when i really dug into it but my parents like to tell that first story a lot uh <laughs> aj what about you
2: um it probably was you know like free demo games uh one of them that sticks out is uh one that came with Chex serial called checks quest um and then uh back in the 90s and early 2000s uh there used to be video game magazines and they had discs they had demo discs and i remember uh not wearing those out but playing those just you know those games to you know kingdom come it was it was so much fun just you know, playing those games and being a kid, it was like I could easily switch from one to another to another uh, and not have to, you know, spend, you know, $150 for three games. So how about you, Todd?
3: Um, what was the question was, it, what's the first gaming that really got you into games? Or was this? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love I, I love that every single buddy person was games. And and yeah. I, I mean, ultimately, that's kind of where my draw was too. Um, but what really got it into me is I'm going to I'm gonna go back uh, many, many years ago is when when I was uh, young and dumb, I, I thought I was going to be a rock star. It was just it was a given. And um, surprisingly, that did not work out for me. So, my backup plan then was I was going to record music because I was going to make a ton of money. And also, this did not work out for me. However, um, when I was going through the process of trying to figure out how you record, et cetera, et cetera, I'd gone to college for it and I was learning all of this stuff. And as I was going through it, they were making me get into the components. So if any of the equipment, whether it's an amp or recording equipment, failed, I needed to be able to repair it myself. So I had to go through the process of getting in and get fixing circuit boards, etc. Um, and when I graduated from school, I'd actually picked up a job at an organization that made professional sound cards for PCs. And this is many, many years ago, By as some can probably tell by gray hairs if you're watching on YouTube. Um, so uh that was kind of the perfect mix for me and um it, it, it was it was great so i mean i really had to learn pcs back then they they just this is kind of my glass shattering moment uh, that i think we're going to talk about here shortly is the stuff just barely freaking worked right so you when you had problems with it you literally tore the entire computer apart and and had to get your hands on the boards and. It was crazy stuff, um, but but the game that really changed it for me um, was a book, uh, game called Duke Nukem 3D. I had to take the uh, PC home because I did not have my own PC at that time. They were too expensive <laughs> um, and the big CRT got to carry the big CRT around and, and play it. And uh, my wife hated it, so I had to wear headphones and, and inevitably she would come up behind me and start talking to me and while I was playing the game, which would scare the livid crap out of me. So uh,
1: that's my intro. I think the, uh, the universal experience of, of playing that game and having someone jump scare you from behind is <laughs> a large part of my and my sibling's childhood.
0: <laughs> well, I wanted to thank um, Todd because he did get us kind of directed back of really why we're here today. Um, and he mentioned glass shattering. But for, for those of you that are listening, um, today we're talking about the CIT Tech for Business podcast and our big topic is glass shattering. But before we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of all of that, thank you all for sharing, but I wanted to do some introductions. So we have Tara, myself and Kelsey on the marketing team that are gonna be moderating today's podcast. We have AJ or Andrew as we call them to customer strategy advisors. We have Matthew who is our GRC analyst. And Todd, also known as a rock star, I guess, in a previous life, is <laughs> our chief operating officer and CISO. But um, I'll kind of get it started with glass shattering in general. Let's kind of open this up in, for discussion. And who wants to take it? Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Go.
1: So I, I feel it's, it's fair that as the person who, who mentioned this first, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll kind All of right, dig Matthew, into it. All right, Matthew, you're up. Um, so I, I started... In in service center Um, previously, I have worked for for other tech companies, but but my experience in the MSP space started in service center as a tier one. And as part of that learning networks, when previously I'd been more software heavy, uh, there was a couple of moments where I distinctly remember sitting down because I was so shocked by the things that had just fallen into place about how networks worked or how systems worked um that probably that felt to me that they should have been clearer far earlier (laughs) than they were and so that's that's really what i wanted to discuss and see if anyone else had had those experiences um i'm happy to to kick off with the first one which was um when i when i realized for the first time that people running servers in their office and and simple simple servers, maybe just doing file shares, or things that everyone would have in their business, back when this moment happened, at least, um, ran the exact same way as regular websites on the Internet. But that it was just a larger system in a cloud storage location instead. um, and That the the services, the ports, the systems I'd been learning how to use to make these networks work completely tied in with the way that the whole Internet ran. I, I don't mind if I'm telling on myself for some of the people listening right now and saying, How did you not realize that earlier? Well, I I just didn't. It wasn't something I thought about. Um and so that's those are things I really want to hear about because they are I think it's interesting for all of us and how it ties back to what we learned and and what we enjoy most about this job because those moments are the things that I remember probably the most clearly from my first couple of years in the industry.
3: I, I think that was a great point. I mean, I'll I'll jump in too. Um, so going back to my, my first job out of college, when I started getting into technology, um, we used to do trade shows as the way to kind of sell this product that I was talking about, the sound card for the PCs. And um, as we were doing it, one of the first things that we were trying to do was be able to link our computers together so we could basically create a network. And I didn't know anything about it. I mean, it was just like, hey, look, here's a hub and we just started connecting everything together Um, and it was a couple of years later where I kind of dawned on me that this was not common knowledge that you don't just do that Um, to the point where getting back to gaming a little bit I used to run LAN parties back in the day too because the internet wasn't nearly fast enough to to play your games on. And again, you would set this up and people would just come in and they're just mystified how they could make all these computers play these big games on this. We we would typically do them in hotels and whatnot. But it it just didn't really dawn on me that this was complicated stuff at the time. And it was just really interesting to learn a few years later that, well, this just doesn't come second nature to everybody.
2: Uh, One of the glass shattering moments for me personally was when I was um, taking a university course. And it was called Computer Organization and Assembly Language. Uh, And that's a lot for a course title. um, But the way that it really stuck with me was we we started with ones and zeros um, and like an and gate and an or gate um, and, and how that is working with computers. So, uh, you know, logical tables, uh, logic tables, uh, translation from binary to decimal and decimal to hexadecimal and understanding the different things in place. Um, So when I went to networking or I had a networking course, it made sense why you know, this may get a little too deep in the woods, but uh, why some of the numbers were 255 and some were zero uh, or, or they had that range from zero to 255. And you're like, oh, and it really started to click with me then of like really the, the the deep down like, oh, this is where it's coming from. And in that course, we did all those things and we we made random access memory. Uh, on paper uh like it wasn't obviously that that much uh memory but using the ones and zero inputs using and or gates and nor gates and nand gates and all those different gates that can have logical inputs we made memory and that was that was a big part for me where i'm just like this is cool like um I put down a quote. I've I've had it on my teams for a while. Uh, it's from it's Arthur C. Clarke, uh, who is a uh, science writer, um, science fiction writer, and his third law is any um, significantly advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Uh, and I feel like that's what a lot of things are. Um, if that is not just technology, but um, even if you look at you know automobile production. Um, you're like, oh, it's you just go to a dealership. And it's like, oh, well, there's a lot of steps that go into getting that car to the dealership. Uh, and it takes a lot to provide this podcast to you uh through YouTube um from the recording of it where we're all in different locations um to putting it on into the cloud and how that is a repeatable process every single time. Um and I obviously I don't know all of those steps but it's even wanting to go through those steps and being like oh yeah like that's I want to I want to know more like okay so I I know how this works locally and you can talk to other stuff but how do you talk to like how do I talk to Todd how I, how can I talk to Matthew how can they talk to each other without talking to me and that's really got uh got me excited
3: so it was the rainbow the ridge that got you excited right and it looks yeah. like magic Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really was like, you know, like it it does look like magic, you know, like you use your voice like now, right? Like you use your voice to turn lights on and off. Uh, I had, you know, you had to use the clapper before and now it's, you know, a different kind of obnoxious (laughs) voice, which is uh, me, I guess. But um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's just fun, uh, like understanding and trying to understand that stuff.
1: I definitely feel that there's a it, that quote especially is is one of my favorites also. and and the way that when you kind of know some of the stuff, it feels like the it flattens. like there there can be times when these realizations are not always positive, like it kind of takes away some of the magic. Um, I play guitar, um had similar dreams to Todd. um <laughs> and so there are times when I'd learn to play a song. And then I just go, oh, that's that's all it is. It sounds magic <laughs> when it's on the radio and it's just, oh, um, it doesn't happen often. Normally it stays there, but every now and again, it ruins a song and that's unfortunate. Um, from the tech side of things, one of the other ones I, I like to to go back to was when I, I first realized, and I'm going to dive into the, the technical side a little bit here, but I'm hopefully going to pull it out enough that it's not completely Not understandable. Um, Every network device that gets uh, that shows up on every device that shows up on your network gets an IP address, right? Um, For you to see it, it needs one. That's the extent I'm going to go into that. Uh, We get into MAC addresses. We can. Um, No. Uh, It's
0: magic. (laughs) uh,
1: We'll hand wave the magic magic and move on. talking about switches in particular which send and and transfer the data around the network about about six months to a year into working in service center i realized or or found out that they run basically on single xml files really really basic text files effectively and when you reset the device when you save things on the device all it's doing is updating that file and then when the device turns on it checks that file for the information it's looking for And just following that magic, these are 48 port, 56 port devices that run the entire network. They have gigs, gigs, terabytes of data running through them, and it's a four kilobyte text file that manages all of it.
2: (laughs) And it's the backbone for every single network all over the world. And, and uh, not just
1: yeah. your home network, yes. not just your work network, not just the router that you have that runs your, uh, your Wi-Fi and everything at home, it's the systems that run full cloud data centers run off these four kilobytes. And if they get confused for even a second, if that file becomes corrupt, it's gone. <laughs> so that that was a, to kind of tie in with what Todd said before, it's, barely running uh, <laughs> so like it's it's obviously works well it works very well but sometimes you look at it and you're like that doesn't seem like enough it feels like there should be more
3: mm-hmm. right, what what a mild tangent well i have multiple tangents that i really want to get into <laughs> but um oh, i'll do one real real quick is back to the guitar thing the riff um black keys and kenny said anybody is curious about them their riffs sound killer and they are extremely basic <laughs> all right. So my other one was was going back to um one of the previous podcasts that we have at CIT was one of our origin story, if you will. Um, and as I'm listening to it, I've been in tech 30 plus years. Um, if anybody's curious how long that goes back, it's a long time. And um we're they're talking about all of the old technologies, the way that networks used to work, which is token ring and all kinds of other stuff. And um Talking about that, that correlation between the magic and, and the way things used to be is it's amazing what we have for technology today back then the stuff I, I'm not kidding the stuff just barely freaking worked and the problems that you ran into were unbelievable and compared to today. Everything just works for all intensive purposes, and that's the way computers have really become. I would make the correlation to almost like a, a telephone, right? And and now, of course, telephones are even kind of old comparative to cell phones. But when you pick it up, you just expect the dang thing to work, and it does. And that's kind of the way PCs were. They didn't used to be that way 30 years ago. The things just barely freaking worked. Um, to get what you needed to run out of a business... Yeah, it was pretty remarkable that we got done what we were able to do and how much things have changed with to Andrew's point of how this process works comparatively it was unfathomable a couple of years ago
2: and I think and I think part of it too is the extension to moving a lot of the stuff that we had to, we had to know uh, when we came into the industry um you know, was it, it's changed so much. um you know, like even when I started, 13 years ago, we were still doing on-prem mail servers. Um, and that isn't something that, you know, we recommend now because there's a service that you can go to, uh, they're called Microsoft. Uh, they have hosted mail uh, or they're Google, or it's, you know, one of those other people who, for lack of better words, they're your hosted mail provider now, uh, right? Like you don't need to set up your own, you can, like, by all means, if you want to set up your own mail server, I knew a lot of people back in the day where they're like, hey, you can do this. There's a lot that goes into it. Uh, It's a turnkey solution. And Microsoft has been able to kind of take that, you know, that magic and being like, hey, here's a little packet of magic that you can just, here's an email address, um, and make it for businesses, uh, instead of, you know, being like okay, so I need to do a mail server, and I need these records to make sure when somebody goes through that they can that they're able to send a message to my my account. And then what happens when my PST file that's on my computer gets too big or gets corrupted and somebody can't get to it? Um, it's yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that um, you know really if you don't keep up with it, um, it, it can it can pass you by pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, it's I, I don't know where I was going with that, but
1: <laughs> I, I like that. I, there was a, a lot of analogies that I learned when I was starting that are also completely irrelevant now. Um, and tying in with that one, we, we used to think of on site or on prem exchange as the mail room in a building. And I don't know many buildings that have an in-house mail room anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's just changing. And we're seeing this change. It's It's outsourced. It's it's you know courier systems that come and pick it up for you etc um one other thing that i i think that ties in with was a a story about the osi model that i really like and i'm gonna try and recall it verbatim so i apologize if i get anything wrong i'll try and keep it generic the osi model is basically the the system we use to describe how data transfers across a network go and look into it if you if you haven't already it's definitely interesting If you're interested in that already um i definitely don't recommend trying to use it to spark an interest (laughs) in tech um (laughs) i think i can tell the story without digging into it too deeply but effectively when it was being created it was when networks and and token ring as todd mentioned were, were already in use and so the people who were building this this model which was designed to describe how data flowed through a network they were very specific with it. They wanted it to seem like a standard that everyone could follow, so it was very clear. You'll hear some of these used in the ter- way we talk about services, ports, um, uh, the way all HTTP data flows, et cetera. Um, by the time they'd finished planning it and put it out, the people who were using the systems had already decided that TCP and UDP formats would be used to wrap all data that traveled across the network. I'm being very gener- generic here. There is obviously lots of caveats to that, but that's what the, had been decided by the vast majority. And because of that, the OSI model doesn't always make sense when you're starting out because it seems like everything should fit neatly into this box, but it doesn't because it wasn't designed in use. It was a look at how great everything could be while people began using it the way that made sense. (laughs) And I think there are a lot of things that we'll see in tech that generally, if something doesn't make sense, it's because a similar thing happened. Trying not to think of it as this organization released this product. They also released a 10,000 page manual and great descriptions on how to use it. And everyone read that book and uses the correct language all the time that doesn't happen (laughs) in fact unless you're needing it to pass a certification or or anything i very it's hard to find people using the same language for two things all the time especially across departments um that communication and describing what you're saying even the word server uh i have very specific opinions on what that word means um and that can change if you're non-technical if you're an on-site engineer, <laughs> et cetera. It's different for everyone. Um, so instead of thinking of of these things you you hear in these rules as static, always in place rules, a lot of the one of my glass shattering moments was realizing that a lot of these things didn't cross over. You had to learn the language that the individual device used, the language that the individual team used. Um, and and then trying to collaborate on that. And maybe dig in deeper to make sure that that communication was clear to everyone.
2: Yeah, and um, I think I think that communication was big. I I started my technology journey uh, doing pure phone support um, for a third party ISP, uh, and it was mainly. Um, older people who would call in who needed some technology help um i feel like that helped me it was kind of trial by fire of how to explain things to people without being too technical but still getting the information you needed um so trying to explain these complex you know sometimes complex things uh like how to con- like why does my pop server port need to be 110, um, you know, or the secure SMTP need to be 587. And, and so uh, those are complex things that get down to that OSI kind of model and the ports and the TCP of, okay, you can really dig into the weeds and and go, okay, what what's this port used for? What's this one used for? Um, you need to relay that information to some people, but it's like, okay, how can I just like, how can I like direct this person to this specific part so they can configure the email service that they were using? Um, so yeah, that, uh, that really helped. And, you know, even just troubleshooting, sometimes, uh, we joke about it in it. Um, but restarting a computer really does like that. That really is the first thing we say, um, because there's so much stuff that goes on in your computer, right? Like you open up Teams and you only use Teams. There's so much stuff in the background. Um, you, you know, you just play games on your computer. There's so much stuff that goes on in the background in the communication. And as Matthew said before with the Switch, some anything goes wrong with you know a little bit of file it can act weird it, and the computer is that refresh and that reboot is that kind of refresh restart uh and it really helps with it. so if that's a switch that you turn off and on if that's a router like it 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 really is a trope for any it uh and i highly recommend the it crowd which is a a <laughs> a British TV show uh, that they answer their department, they're in the IT department and they answer the phone in their department saying, hello, IT, have you tried turning it off and on again? Um, <laughs> because it really is, that's, that's kind of the thing. Sometimes the simplest thing and, um, you know, it, it is, it can fix it and you don't need to know why every time you just can fix it. Um, to, you know, some people who have, people come on site for technology and they're like you just restarted it and it. fixing it. it's just like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry <laughs> you know
3: it shouldn't I, I i agree i always it was one of the things that i learned through the years too and it was to your point is how do you explain that and i think you did a really really nice job and and i'll just try to repeat what you said slightly different is um everybody uses their pc their phones are the same thing right every once in a while you got to restart your phone everybody's using it differently even if Kelsey and I are playing the same video game she may do something slightly different than I did she checked her email first whatever um my brother is in programming and so he always says this and he's when we talk about why people break stuff he's like well I didn't program it to do that how was I supposed (laughs) to know you'd ever do that that's what happens with your PC is they 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 built in as much as they possibly can for redundancy and Quite frankly, they're they're remarkable how well and redundant and um, ability to withstand everything at, at this point. But unfortunately, there is a, a strange mix that every once in a while the bits get garbled and you just resetting it is enough to to get everything right in the world again. I I don't know about you guys, but I reboot my my Wi-Fi router about once a month just because I should. (laughs) Exactly. Um,
0: Yeah, um, I think it's nice though to say like there is a method to the madness behind some of that when you do ask some of those simplest questions because that technology language that you were talking about, AJ, before and then the zeros and the ones, like it all has to kind of um, connect, and I guess I wouldn't do um, my job justice if I, with the moderator here today, to get us kind of wrapping up because I know we're getting close on time. Um, so I just wanted just to ask if you guys had any parting words as we're going to be wrapping up today to leave with our listeners.
1: I, uh, I do. I-, I won't. I won't backtrack, but I do want to tell a joke that uh, ties in with what Todd said. <laughs> um, one of my. Uh, one of my best friends is a, a qa a quality analyst uh for a uh, a software company and uh, one of my favorite jokes about this is a uh, a quality assurance analyst walks into a bar and orders a beer orders a million beers orders negative six beers orders an elephant because these are the types of things that people might do and you need to be prepared for <laughs> and uh, it, it just ties in with with how those that you may not think that you're doing these things, but in comparison to what the program are prepared for, they probably didn't prepare for you to order an elephant, um, and that may cause problems.
0: Well, that's great. Now, I'm going to have to go next time I go into the bar and order an elephant and see what that happens <laughs> if there was a program in their in their system. So we'll have to report back to you guys. probably going to you know. get cut off. that's a good point maybe i will we'll try it we'll see yeah um but no i wanted to um thank you guys all kelsey todd aj and matthew for um joining our podcast today um always a great discussion. And yeah, we had some tangents, but that's our thing. We like to do that. But I do want to say, um, if you guys have any feedback, please visit cit-net.com backslash podcast. Or we'd love to hear from you via email as well as a- um, AJ had talked about we use Microsoft. So you can get an email to us by info at cit If you have any topics that you would like for us to discuss, we're always open to that. So, but thank you again. Um, and we look forward to chatting with you guys more next week.